Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation Certified Instructor and Resiliency Expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at my website, which is Tom, the number two, and Tall, T-A-L-L, I'm excited today. Our guest is Jim Palmer, a great friend of mine and a great person. And uh, we're going to be talking about his upcoming book, Decide. Uh, Jim is a marketing and business building expert and in-demand coach. I have uh, on Facebook labeled him as the uh, less grumpy, uh, more friendly, uh, Dan Kennedy. <laughs> he is the founder of the, he is the founder of the Dream Biz Academy and Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. I have some good friends who are in his, uh, Mastermind Program and, uh, speak extremely highly of it. Jim is the host of Newsletter Guru TV, the hit weekly web TV show watched by thousands of entrepreneurs and small business owners. And he is also the host of Stick Like Glue Radio, a weekly podcast based on Jim's unique brand of smart marketing and business building strategies. Jim is best known internationally as the newsletter guru and creator of No Hassle Newsletters, the ultimate done-for-you newsletter marketing program used by hundreds of clients in nine different countries. He's also the author of a bunch of books, We'll find out what number bunch means, uh, including his upcoming book, Decide, which will be coming out very shortly and which we'll be talking about today. Welcome to the show, Jim. Tom Tutal Cunningham, my friend. How you doing? I'm amazing. You like that, eh? The uh, less grumpy, younger version of Dan Kennedy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thank you for that. <laughs> People can actually reach you by phone and some of the regular means of reaching people like email and that. Well, I, I wouldn't actually advertise that, but I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> You know, when when it's uh, pre-scheduled, I will get on the phone with you, but yes, it's um, my my time is, is uh, pretty, it's from the time I wake up and hit my office, it's I know where I need to be each half hour, so, but it's a, it's good, exactly. it's, a good it's a good life. Except for those uh, video calls you do with your grandson, Nathan, which I love watching. Oh, those are so amazing. I mean, I don't know what grandfathers did before, you know, Skype and before iPhones, but um, it's, I, I just, it's such a joy to be able to watch Nathan even, you know, from 300 miles away. And we hopefully get to see him once a month or every six weeks, but we get to visit with him almost daily. It's awesome. Nice. Now, I have a couple of books coming out, and uh, finding a title of a book is uh, often a challenge, and yet you've been able to narrow your upcoming book to one word, Decide. Talk about how you decided on that topic and uh, uh, why you wrote the book. You know, decide is if you were to. It, it's funny. Uh, I forget. It was actually a couple of years ago. Tom, someone asked me. Um, you know, because a lot of times you do these interviews, you get kind of some standard questions. Somebody said, "What's the if you had to choose one word, which kind of separates 
ordinary entrepreneurs from highly successful entrepreneurs, what word would that be? And I think he was looking for like dedicated or, you know, committed, whatever. And I said the word, it's decide. And, you know, highly successful entrepreneurs have the ability to to decide, to quickly ascertain if this is a good idea or what the answer to this challenge is, if this is a good opportunity. You decide yes or no, and you move forward. Yes or no are always better than I'll think about it, because if you think about it, that's going to put you into a place that I call Squishyville, and that's where opportunities go to die. The ability to make a fast decision and move forward, because growing a business, a dream business, is all about momentum. And, you know, nothing will kill momentum like indecision. So I came up with the word decide, and, um, and I said, you know what, that really is the ultimate success trigger. So it just it really I didn't even have to think about it and get too creative. It just kind of flowed out of my thought process. Now I've kind of, I've thought of and seem to realize that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, good entrepreneurs, good business people, uh, they do make those fast decisions. But don't you have to have a well-tuned gut feeling as well? I think those successful people listen to their gut, and along with the reasoning in their mind, their gut often tells them yes or no, or hmm, be careful, be wary, look a bit more. Have you found that as well? Well, I did. I do find that, Tom, and of course, that comes with experience. I mean, you know, everybody's got, I think, some kind of gut or intuition or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And obviously, the, the longer you're in business, the more decisions you make, the more finely tuned you get. You know, a lot of times people will make uh, decisions based on emotion, uh, which is not good. An example of that would be uh, if you're if you're new, or let's say you're in kind of cash flow mode right now, and and some some opportunity maybe for a new client just looks too good to be true to your gut, but to your heart it's saying no. This is going to set. This is going to do it, man. This is going to put me over the hump. And um, so your heart's saying go for it, go for it, while your gut is telling you no way. This is this is not going to be good, right? So you go with your. So sometimes you go with your heart, and then you find out. They didn't order. They're not going to order as much as they said they would. They're not going to pay you as quickly as they said they would, and and they've just become incredibly demanding on your time and the resources of your business. So, it, when you do focus on your gut and not your heart, you're going to find out that you're you are going to make much better decisions. And by the way, Tom, not every decision works out. I'm totally comfortable that uh, you know it's not fifty fifty for me. I don't know what it is eighty twenty probably if I was to really really think about it because I make so many decisions on it on a daily basis. Not every decision is a good one, but every decision moves me forward. And if something's not a good one, I can course correct as I go, change course, you know, do whatever. And if it's a really bad one, well, then you just, you know, cut that rope and you, and you keep moving forward. Right. And that gets to some, I am, uh, myself, I am more of a ready fire, aim type person, I'd rather take a lot of action on a bunch of things and make decisions and then, as you say, if it doesn't work out, you can change, you can change the decision, alter it, uh, delete it, whatever, but uh, so many people plan, 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 uh, but they never get to firing and deciding and so uh, I totally agree with that, uh, better to 
uh, in my opinion, better to take action and course correct as you go along than waiting and planning and waiting and planning and waiting and planning. And next thing you know, you're in a box and you're still waiting and planning. Exactly. Now let's talk about this Squishyville because it has a large population, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. You know, it, it, the amount of people that really are comfortable with kind of there is a certain risk that's involved when you make quick decisions and move forward. And the amount of people that are comfortable is is, is not very large. And um, and if you look at any group. Tom, whether it's a, a, in the business world or wherever, you know, there's always the top, say, 1% or 2%. Those are the people that are comfortable. They think big. They think bold. They make decisions. They move forward. They're not afraid of failure. And if you want to call failure testing, whatever you want to do to make it more palatable, that's fine. Squishyville, when I say people make, they should either make a yes or no decision. But if you say, I'm going to think about it, you, uh, some people call it the back burner. I call it Squishyville because it's where oper- nothing happens there. If you're going to think about something, most of the time, life takes over. You know, the constant interruptions, family, all kinds of things going on. And when life takes over, um, you, you seldom go back and actually do think about something. So when you say, I'm going to think about it, that's usually just pushing it out to pasture, and most of the time you never revisit it. And in the world we live in, Tom, things are moving so fast. I was actually talking with somebody a couple of days ago and, and talking about how fast things are going. He, he actually recalled some example of where he had an opportunity a year ago, and he's starting to revisit it now, and as he looked at it, Things have changed so much, and even in the world of social media, he says, it doesn't make sense for me to move forward. And so that's just one example of, um, you know, when, when you decide not to decide, you go to Squishyville, and as I say, that's a place where opportunity goes to die. And there's a, a large population there. Now, uh, many entrepreneurs have uh, what we would might call head trash, and I talk about it uh, regularly, that we have thirty to 60,000 thoughts a day. Uh, maybe some of the slower ones of us have the 30,000, and some of us have the 60,000, but why is it important to take out that head trash if you want to accelerate your growth? Yeah, you know, head trash is the junk that floats around in our heads. It's the thoughts. I kind of like what I think of the mind, especially the subconscious mind, like an, a record album with grooves. And from the time you're born, everything you've read, seen, witnessed, heard, observed, been taught, been told, it's all cutting grooves in your mind. So your mind is able to process based on all of this input, right? And so what happens is a lot of people um, – Tom, they're the head trash is it's limiting thoughts. It's limiting beliefs. Oh, I can't do that. I can't afford that. That'll never work for me. And that prevents a lot of people from really succeeding in, in life and in business. You know, if you're going to have a really successful business, you need to be operating in a bold and in, in a big way. And, you know, most big growth happens outside your comfort zone. So what happens is a lot of people, there are things that they should be doing to grow their business, but they're not doing them because of the head trash, you know, that, that's been accumulated. I, and in my book, Tom, this is, I got to be honest with you, this book was uh, probably the most difficult for me to write because I did something that I haven't done in my other books where I talk a lot of strategy, tips, advice, suggestions. I got really, really transparent in this book. And so when I'm talking about different things in the book, I share some of the demons and, you know, some of the things that I had going on. So I'll, I'll give you, for example, in the in the section on head trash, 
when I started wondering why am I not growing like in the 2006 time frame when I'm really transitioning into the business model that I have now, if I was to look at other people that were operating kind of in the space that I'm operating in, here's a couple things they do. They speak. They author books. They were doing videos, and, and nowadays they do podcasts. They hire and invest and work with a coach. They join a mastermind group. They host their own live events. And I knew all of this, and yet there were certain things that I was not doing because, frankly, they scared the heck out of me. And being a speaker is, is the top of the list. I mean, I've always been afraid of public speaking all, all the way back into, into grade school. And... Um, you know, and then, you know, my good friend, Melanie Benson Strick, who is my personal mindset coach and has shared so much of her wisdom in this book, um, she got a hold of me and said, Jim, for you to think that you're going to be successful, because I always described it as, you know, if you're, if you're going down the highway and right up ahead of you is speaking, authoring a book, joining a mastermind, investing in a coach and all that stuff, and you're going to like move over into the breakdown lane and go ahead of all these people, for you to think that you can actually be as successful as these people without doing the things that you know to be uh, very, very helpful is just not reality. And, uh, you know, she basically said, it's time to man up and, and take care of business. And so I did that in a big way. I mean, I, I took the Dale Carnegie program. I, I went to a, a hypnotist. I learned self-hypnosis. I've done positive affirmations. I joined a group where speaking is not an option. It's a requirement every month. I did many, many things. And so that's, that's an example of taking out the trash. And, and, and But it's also an example, Tom, of going all in. When I decide to tackle a problem finally and man up as Melanie said, I don't just like, okay, I'm going to try this and see if that works because I'm a very impatient person. So I didn't want to just see if positive affirmations would work. I didn't want to just see if taking the Dale Carnegie program would work. I didn't just want to try, you know, hypnosis. I did them all <laughs> because I just wanted to flood the zone with change. And, you know, I've become quite a good speaker. I've, I'm not afraid to get on any stage and speak in front of any group of people. So I was able to take out that trash. And I'll, I'll, if we have time, I'll give you one more quick example, which is very fresh and actually quite present. Um, you know, I've learned since I started my coaching program six years ago that one of the best things you can do to grow your program is to host your own seminars, host your own live events. And I resisted that. Even though there are several of my friends doing it, I see other people that do what I do doing it, I didn't want to do it. And I write in the book, I get really vulnerable, and I say the head trash I had about doing my own event was, what if nobody comes? What if I owe a ton of money to the hotel and the, and the AV guy and the caterer and, and, and you know, the head trash? What if people do come? And what if I suck? What if, what if I freeze? What if it stinks? What if people want refunds? All these different thoughts, self-limiting, destructive behaviors and thoughts that people have, including myself. And I finally took out the trash on that, and I've, you know, I created the Dream Business Academy. I've sold out two. I'm very close to selling out the third one, which is um, coming up in May in San Diego. So, you know, it, the, the really what I want people to know and take from this book is that, first of all, if you struggle, if you have challenges, you're not alone. Um, and, but it is time, you know, if you're not achieving the success you want, more than likely there's some areas of your business, starting with the head trash, that needs to be taken care of. Nice, nice. Now, before we get to the next chapter, or sorry, next question, people, take out your pen here, because uh, Jim, give us 
website where people can best get hold of you, find out more about you. Again, people, get out your pen. This is one of the sharpest marketing minds on the planet on the call today. So uh, let them know where they can find you more. Uh, GetJimPalmer.com is is a good place. GetJimPalmer.com. And from there, you can find information about my Dream Biz Academy, my coaching, all my books, websites, all that different stuff. But that's kind of the home base, if you will. So GetJimPalmer.com. P-A-L-M-E-R. Palmer, if you can't spell Get and Jim, you really shouldn't be looking at this website. (laughs) You should hang up right now. (laughs) Hang up right now and do something different. So get jimpalmer.com. And I have to say, when I uh, was going to speak at the Think and Grow Rich Summit in California and I saw that Jim Palmer was speaking, I thought it was Jim Palmer that pitching uh, the pitcher from uh, the Baltimore Orioles. When you saw it was me. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, "That that guy can't pitch. He didn't pitch for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, so yeah but I learned a lot more than if it would have been Jim Palmer speaking in the picture there you go so uh, one of your chapters in the book is about the need to be perfect Uh, you and I both know there is only one perfect person uh, Jesus and so all of us can be assured that we're not perfect so how can uh, needing to be perfect slow down slow down people's progress and What do you mean by good is good enough? Tom, perfection is the enemy of progress. You know, for people to think that they're not going to launch something, create a website, or even launch a book or a special report or do anything unless it's absolutely perfect. If they've gone through that thing nine ways from Sunday and crossed every T and dotted every I, there's no way I'm putting that out with my name on it until it's 100% perfect. Those people never grow. They never get anything done. And, you know, uh, Dan Kennedy had an expression, good, good enough is good enough. And a lot of people kind of, they grimace when they hear that. They think, well, I don't want to put out crappy work. And, you know, good, good, is, good enough is not, it's not licensed to put out shoddy work at all. What I believe is you've got to do your best work. You've got to put your best foot forward, do an absolutely the best job. But there's a difference between putting out your best work and striving to be perfect. Because as you said, there's only one, one man that was ever perfect, right? And so that right there is one of the ways that you can put out a ton of content. I'm known as somebody who creates an enormous volume of content and information every week between newsletters, videos, podcasts, social media, all these different things. And the only way that is really possible, Tom, is that I got comfortable in my head knowing that the value that I'm sharing, the amount of information that I'm putting out there and connecting with people on a number of different platforms, the number of information products that I'm putting out there, it's only possible if I keep pushing it out the door. And so what I believe is that when you're a giver, or as our friend Bob Berg would say, when you're a go-giver and you serve people first, you are actually going to, it's going to be okay if you miss a comma or if you put S-O-N instead of S-U-N or something like that. It's okay because you are, you are someone that puts out enormous volume of work. And um, this, this, this was really driven home to me in 2009 when I, my first book that I put out was called The Magic of Newsletter Marketing. It was, it was an 18-month project, Tom. And just to give you a, a, a for instance of the progress I've made, I wrote my 
last book, the one that's coming out the side in 60 days, 200-page book in 60 days. So it, it's not that it's a piece of crap. By far, it's not a piece of crap. But, you know, I've gotten comfortable with the fact that the information that I'm putting out there, the information is going to help a lot of people. And so I was listening to this conference. I was listening to Bill Glazer, and he said, listen, here's here's – especially when it comes to authoring a book. If somebody goes to Barnes & Noble and they pull your book off the shelf, maybe the cover um, you know, appeals to them, they read it, 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 turn a few pages, and they buy the book, well, then you've made a sale. That's number one. Step number two is you, if it's really good information, you might actually gain a, a client out of it. But if that book is still in your word processor because you're looking for the very last comma that should be placed somewhere and you have no idea where it goes, you're never going to sell that book and that when I heard that my book was out within three weeks from that point and I've, I've stepped it up my second book took me like eight months and then I got to six months and just get faster and faster and faster because I think for the most part Tom 90 to maybe 90 percent of the population will judge you on the value you're providing the information you're sharing and there's only a two or three or four percent of people that are going to really hold your feet to the fire because you, you had a bad grammar choice. And, and there are people that will do that, by the way, which is another reason there's a chapter in book, my book called Be Immune to Criticism, because people will gladly let you know that you screwed up. Nice. And uh, if you need a proofread, let me know. I proofread all the Napoleon Hill Foundation books. Uh, uh, now I have some God-given uncanny talent to find those comma problems, spelling problems, grammar problems, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so, and uh, talking about your content, some of your favorite content, I think it's mostly on LinkedIn you post them, are the funny pictures that you come up with almost every week. You seriously, it made me laugh out loud. I don't know where you find them, but some of them are so ridiculously hilarious and stupid and weird and funny that I just love them. Well, thank you, Tom. But the funny thing is, and there's a method to my madness there. Now, I try and share, you know, every day throughout social media, and it's across Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+, I will share at least one uh, success tip, strategy tip, something that's going to help you build your business. I like to share at least one whether it's a funny picture or humorous, again, something to make you laugh, because I think laughter is important. I think people work very, very hard, and there's more to life than just hard work. So I, I, I like to laugh. I like to work hard. I like to share good information. I think when, you're, when people want to get a full measure of who you are, I think that's it. I've got some good ideas to share about marketing and building a business, but I also like to, like to share some humor as well. And uh, I love it, and I appreciate it. I often think of stealing it, but I don't. But well, <laughs> I do hey, love I don't it. Create, I don't, Tom, feel free to post it, repost it, because it's not mine. I, I know where to go find the stuff because I've got a couple sources, but I, m- most of it is not original. I just happen to share it and put a funny caption with it. Well, I saw one today that I thought, man, I need to share this with Jim Palmer because this is just perfect for what he posts. So I may uh, find it again and do that. Now, a few weeks ago, I interviewed a woman, Kate Moore, and she talks about the art of authenticity. And uh, I feel it's so important, as does she. Uh, and you write about how entrepreneurs should be their authentic self all the time. And uh, just kind of describe what you mean there. 
Yeah. When you decide to be authentic, it gives you power and freedom, and that comes from simply being you. Now, Tom, if you think about maybe 10 years ago before, you know, social media and all this and that, there a lot of times there was the – you had two different brands. You had your personal brand, which is kind of who you are maybe after 5 o'clock, so to speak, and you had your professional brand. You know, you maybe even go back to uh, a couple generations ago and you went to work with your suits and your, your hat and and then you came home and maybe you put on some slacks and a short sleeve shirt and you were a little bit different cooking out in the backyard than you were at the office you know what I mean and today we live in an ever-connected planet everybody knows who everybody is it's very easy to find out whatever you want to know about everybody especially since we post so much stuff on on social media and my the message that I want to share with people is that when you are your authentic self when you kind of drop this two-edged persona if you will it's you are actually going to attract a lot more of your perfect target customer because people like to do business with people they know like and trust so drop the corporate facade and, and be a little bit more of who you are and you know one of the examples I give in the book about um, about the dangers of social media and posting certain things is um, suppose you were a, a, a young uh, parent, right, and you're looking to hire a nanny, and you, you interview somebody who's got, you know, just great credentials, maybe they're in their early 20s, maybe even had some schooling on early childhood development, just a perfect, the resume looked good, references, and then they leave and, and you go on Facebook and you start certain, you find their Facebook page and you see pictures of wild drinking parties and thinking like, and you know, different stuff. Now, I, we're not here to judge other people, I know that's wrong, but let's face it, I think as a parent, you're going to think twice before hiring that person. It's the same thing as an entrepreneur entrepreneur. Uh, Tom, I'm sure you, you're probably connected with, I, I'm pretty sure I don't see you do this, but you're probably connected with some people who like to post their innermost thoughts and opinions on social media, like, you know, whether it's about the government or, you know, politics or sex or religion, and you think because you have your own, quote unquote, your own page, it's like your own soapbox to share all your thoughts and feelings, and some people actually get pretty wild by making some very hardcore declarative statements, even if it's what you believe, you know, whether, again, maybe you, maybe you make a statement about Jesus, or maybe you make a statement about the president, maybe you make a statement about war or world affairs or whatever it is. Next thing you know, your news feed is blowing up with half the people, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. Why can't you see it this way? You know, everybody's trying to prove each other wrong. My point, especially when it comes to social media, is you want to share information that it, it is authentic, but it's enough information that so people can figure out who you are. One of the reasons I don't post anything, and you, you, I kind of liken it to the old t the adage about taxi cab drivers. You don't talk about you know either sex, religion, or politics, and you'll probably be okay. And um, so I don't share that. And one of the reasons I don't share it is it's it's not going to move the needle. It's not going to move the ball forward with a prospective customer who wants to know who I am. So if you were to visit me on social media as as a, as on most days, you're going to find some good information about business. I'll make you laugh once or twice. I'll probably show a picture of my grandson or something like that. And that's what you're going to know about me. And the other reason I don't share the other stuff is, quite honestly, I think you really have to ask yourself a question, Tom. Who the hell cares what I say anyway? I mean, you know, people just want to feel like they need to vent. Well, if you're going to vent, 
I'm telling you, that's not going to attract more business. Right, and it will repel business. So if you're not attracting and you're repelling, again, silly, dumb. You're, you know, rethink what you're doing. Uh, and uh, now uh, you uh, talk about being immune to criticism and how that is hard for many people many, many, many people. How do you overcome this uh, fear of criticism? And criticism is everywhere, Tom. And, and you know, we again, because of this inter- interconnected planet we live on, um, people are free to share their opinions with you, and they do, and they will. Um, you know, so there's a two-step filter that I use. And basically what you need to do is you need to develop a wall of immunity. So these things, what I call these kind of verbal or slings and arrows that may come off at you, you need to put up this wall and just deflect them. You know, you need to develop a thick skin. And so for me, I use a kind of a, I've developed a two-stage filter. So number one, if somebody says something to me like rude or I don't like that or that's horrible or something like that or what an idiot, you know, first of all, is it somebody that I know um, that I know, like, and trust, somebody whose opinion I, I really value. And in, in most cases in the business world, the opinions that count are the ones are your customers that are paying you money. And the other, the other part of the two-step process is, does this person have any training in this area so their opinion actually holds water? You know, for an example, uh, if, you, if you like direct response type marketing, it's a different type of marketing than your, than your really kind of easy middle-of-the-road brand building like, you know, like Coke or Coors might do. But direct response, sometimes you have these really wacky headlines, far-out pictures, and different ways that you're going to catch people's uh, attention, right? Now, if you showed, if you showed a, a direct response ad to somebody, whether it be your spouse or a neighbor or a friend, and they said, Oh my God, that's ugly. And all of a sudden, it's going to be like popping a hole in your balloon where you think you've created something good and it could hold you back from launching and, and, and it could really kind of wreak havoc on your, on your psyche, if you will. And so, first of all, don't be showing things to people who don't have not earned the right to share their opinions with you. And if, and, by the way, you know, that idiot comment I just made, I actually got that a week ago. You know, I've been doing a lot of marketing these days for my book and for my Dream Business Academy. And, you know, whenever you do a lot of marketing, you know, people who otherwise join your list freely and willingly to get some free information, they sometimes reach this overload mode and, and they will unsubscribe. That's fine when they do. But once in a while, you'll get somebody who will reply and just take you to task in a very rude and offensive way. And if you're new to this type of uh, online world marketing or anything like that, it's like, oh, my God, oh, I've really offended somebody. Oh, it's horrible. But, you know, you got to realize that, um, that that's not who you are. That person's not your customer. So, you know, just, just delete it and, and move on. Because, again, we talked about head trash first up. This is one place where head trash can really can really uh, wreak havoc if you allow yourself, if you listen to criticism and allow it to alter the plans that you've put forth that you know are good plans, that's going to land you right back in Squishyville. Nice. And uh, I learned that lesson fairly well. Uh, our mutual friend, Brad Zollis, uh, uh reminded me of that a few months ago. I was sharing, asking for people's opinion on Facebook, and uh, he messaged me that 
Tom, don't ask the general population. Ask people that know you, like you, love you, and respect you, and who you know. And so, yeah, uh, good point. And uh, let's uh, mention how amazing a guy our mutual friend Brad Zalas is, of course. Brad Zalas well. is awesome, and he's speaking at my next, uh, my next, my next Dream Business Academy. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, Brad is amazing. He helps uh, old geezers like you and I understand what the younger <laughs> people are saying and doing and uh, understanding why they say it and why they do it that way. So helps me feel not so antiquated as I'm starting to become at the age of 51, starting to sound like my father. And uh, <laughs> that's you go. not always good. <laughs> now, uh, one chapter uh, that you have in this book is called Delegate or Stay Small. And I know you're an expert uh, delegator, like uh, you have a number of people delegating for you on various tasks that I've come across with, even virtual assistants. And so talk about uh, delegating or having to stay small. You know, I, there's even a shorter way to put it, delegate or die, because, you know, most entrepreneurs, everybody starts small. Every big business today started small, Tom. You know, Michael Dell started Dell Computer in his dorm room, right? So every big business today starts small, and when you're starting small, you're usually the chief cook and bottle washer. So whatever skill or talents you have, whether you're a speaker or you write newsletters or, or whether you're a coder or a copywriter, that is the skill and talent that you're bringing, you know, to offer in the marketplace but because you're brand new you're also going to wear the hat of bookkeeper of janitor of of um, you know head of HR and whatever else needs being done but there comes a point when you're starting to get momentum and you're building inertia in your business and certain things need to be done and they're not going to be done because you're doing task-oriented work the the work that you do as the entrepreneur and owner you need to be doing what I call high revenue generating activities and so an easy way to look at this is if you want to earn a million dollars a year you need to be doing work that is worth four hundred dollars an hour and I'll just use say 50 weeks out of the year you get two weeks for vacation work 50 hours a week so you need to earn four hundred dollars an hour that's the kind of work you need to do so if if you as the entrepreneur are, are doing task-oriented stuff, going to the post office, just managing your database, doing whatever that you can hire somebody that for possibly $10 an hour, $30, $40, $50 an hour, if, if you don't hire them and you do that work, you are the impediment to your own growth. Now, this is very hard for people, let it, learning to let go and release and have other people assist you with some of these tasks is not easy. And the expression that a lot of people use is, oh, I can do it faster, better, and cheaper than anybody else. Well, that may be true, but it's also true you're never going to get your book done, you're never going to do this, you're never going to, whatever, whatever high-level activity needs to be done, it will not get done if you're focusing most of your time on some of this, you know, kind of low-level uh, task-oriented work. Nice, and uh, so true. I uh, work with a technology consultant, and we have people in India that do a lot of things for us, and yeah, there are people offshore that will do things for much cheaper than a North American price and do it just as well, many different instances. And so, yeah, it, it does make sense to outsource it, get someone else to do it, and do all the high-value work that you're best at yourself. So I love that one. Now, yeah. uh, also in your book – oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I just want to share one more thing, Tom, about that. And the thing is that one of the reasons it's hard for entrepreneurs is that it often feels like you're putting the cart before the horse. You know, you're never quite sure, am I ready to hire an employee or work with a virtual assistant or whatever? Am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? One of the, I shot a video a couple months ago, and I, I likened it to an expression when I was talking about this. I said, if you're thirsty, you should have been drinking already, right? And so in the business world, if you are already seeing things aren't getting done, if that book still isn't getting launched, if this program's not done, if the website hasn't been updated, if you haven't posted to your blog in a month, little things like that are slipping that need to be done. They are definitely uh, core things that you need to do to grow your business. If they're not getting done, that, that means your business is thirsty. And that doesn't mean you, you work even harder doing all those things. That is the time when you need to bring on some kind of a virtual assistant or somebody to assist you with doing these things so you can go you can be working with your customers your clients you can be doing whether you got a coaching program or doing the marketing for your business that only you can do there are certain things you can outsource and there are certain things you shouldn't outsource but there's a whole lot of things that you can outsource and free you up to be the you know the high the high level uh, rainmaker in your business Love it, love it, love it. And uh, you also wrote uh, about the imposter syndrome, and how does that affect new entrepreneurs? What is it, and uh, how does it affect new entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's it's another form of head trash, actually. You know, a lot of um, entrepreneurs uh, ha- have this thing called the imposter syndrome, and it's it's like when you start achieving some success, you almost feel like you don't deserve it. Like, I'm not worthy of this or, you know, people feel like I'm going to be found out, you know, and I and I, I actually had a little bit of this. And um, I, before I even knew what the term was, the, you know, I, I read about the term years later. But, you know, when I started my business, I started at my dining room table. And, you know, when I go when I would go meet with a prospective client, I put on a suit and I had my nice business cards and brochure. And I'd go in there as if, you know, I'm Joe Success, right? But in reality, you know, I just walked away from my dining room table, and now I'm presenting myself as a super successful guy that they should hire to do their newsletter. And so, again, it's a little bit of head trash, but it can really hold you back. It can really be uh, quite debilitating. And so there's some things that you need to do, whether, again, positive affirmations. You need to change the mindset for which you're operating, you know, somebody told me the other day, well, Jim, are you talking about fake it till you make it? Well, in a way I am, but I, I want to be very clear. Fake it till you make it in your own mind. You never want to fake anything or misrepresent or exaggerate or lie. I've never done that. One of the, one of the pieces of head trash I had, I guess, and would fall under the imposter syndrome, is I always worried if somebody, you know, because I'm, uh, if I went to call on somebody and talk about how I could help them with their newsletter, a lot of times they would say, um, you know, well, how long have you been doing newsletters? And I could truthfully answer over 20 years because I did them for many, many years at different companies where I worked, even though I had just started my business. So I answered in a truthful way. And if somebody, one of the questions I I used to not like to get, but it's totally okay now, it's, it's, it's quite changed, is, well, where's your office? 
And I would usually say, oh, it's in Eagle, Pennsylvania. And they said, well, oh, are you in the Eagle View Corporate Center? I said, no, I'm a couple miles from there. Usually that ended it because what I didn't want to say is that I had a home office. And, you know, 15 years ago, having a home office wasn't as acceptable as it is today. And if somebody asked a third time, I said, no, I, I have a home office. I'm off of uh, Township Line Road. And they, oh, most of the time, Tom, instead of saying, oh, you pathetic loser, I'm not hiring you, which is kind of what your head trash was saying. Most of the time they go, oh, you're so lucky. I wish I had a home office. Then I wouldn't have to commute and fight traffic. But that's some of the stuff, the imposter syndrome, when people feel like they're going to be found out that they're kind of not who they say they are. That's what that whole chapter is about. Ooh, and uh, you're uh, kind of uh, preaching to the choir here. This is something that Brad Solis is trying to pump into my head because I just think I'm an ordinary, low-key, just quiet guy. And uh, Brad Solis is trying to remind me, tell me, sell me on that is not the case. And so... Uh, I understand that imposter syndrome from personal experience. And so, good point on that. Not easy to always understand that, but certainly in a very, very, very important point. You know, let me, let me, let me share just a little bit more because I think this would help you also as, as other people listening. You know, what you want to base your prices on and what you want to base kind of your, your, a little, I guess maybe even your self-worth, is the value that you're bringing to the marketplace, the value that you're sharing with your customers, your clients, patients, whatever. You know, whatever you're doing to make their life better, faster, or whatever, whatever service you're doing or things like that, the amount of value that you exchange in, you know, in exchange for you know, the monetary compensation, if you are always delivering a little bit more than you're being paid for, if you're delivering it in a, in a way that's providing world-class service, I mean, you're really standing it up and, and standing out above the competition, you are going to be handsomely rewarded for that, okay? And the fact that you learn something and you have a skill, see, Tom, a lot of people feel like, well, it doesn't take me that long to do that, you know? Um, a good friend of mine who I, I interviewed for the book, he's very good at uh, SEO and videos and stuff like that. And he said he used to feel bad about charging what he, what he charged because he could do some of these things in like 45 minutes. And he would charge like high rates. And, but he, he always felt horrible. Up, I said, here's the thing. You have to set your prices and charge according to the value that your customer's receiving. That's nothing to do with how long it took you to do it. And I said, by the way, you've been doing this for like 14 years years that's why you can do it in 45 minutes so it is not an hourly thing i give an example in the book of um uh there's a a mom who's got a couple kids at home and and they're it's in the dead of winter and it's freezing cold and their furnace goes out and they call the furnace guy he shows up it's like 50 degrees in the house now he goes downstairs he turns a screw in a matter of a couple minutes he comes upstairs and presents a bill for two hundred dollars the mom goes $200, $200, all you did was turn a screw. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, let me have that bill back. And he, and he changes the invoice, Tom, and it says, turning a screw, $1, knowing which screw to turn to give you a warm, comfortable home in less than 10 minutes, $199. And so it's kind of a funny example of showing it's the value. I mean, that guy drove out and, and gave her a warm, comfortable home. The fact that it only took him five minutes is actually irrelevant, 
Right. She wanted the results. She didn't necessarily want the uh, hours of time or half a day to do it. She just wanted the result. That's right. Now, you know, you've brought up our uh, our mutual friend, Brad Zalas. Now, Brad, in addition to being an exceptional speaker, he goes out and, and does some consulting on the whole millennial thing and multi-generational challenges that, that you know, people find themselves in. Now, because Brad has studied this and, and lived it and just has worked in this world for like decades, he, I know for a fact that Brad could go into a company that's struggling with some of the challenges from multi-generational workforce and things like that. Probably within a half an hour, an hour, he could offer some suggestions and fine-tune some things that would have that company running so much smoother. Now, should Brad only charge for an hour of his time, or should Brad charge based on the, 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 the first of all, the, the, the higher profits they're likely to get, the, the nicer work environment they're going to have, and, and this, that, and the other thing. So you, you want to base your price as an entrepreneur on the value you're delivering, and the value is received in the eyes of the customer. So if you're able to solve a problem and help somebody and you cure it, as, whether it takes you five minutes or an hour has no bearing at all. Exactly, exactly. It's all the years of experience and education and practice uh, uh, before that people are paying for, not for the amount of time it's taking you to do it for them. Exactly right. Now, uh, you say uh, that wealth rewards risk and speed. How so? You know, wealth rewards risk and speed in a, in a, in a couple different ways. First of all, um, it's pretty hard to make a, a nice return on your investment if there's low risk. Because if there's low risk, everybody would do it, right? So in the book, I talk about three different kind of strategies, and I liken it to uh, an life of an entrepreneur. So one of them is called the savings account entrepreneur, and that's where, you know, in, your, you know, in the world of the, uh, your savings and loan, the bank down at the corner, you're lucky if you make half of 1% when you put your money in the bank. But that's the type of entrepreneur who's going to start a business. He's not going to borrow any money. They're not going to invest in um, you know, exhibiting at a show or getting into a mastermind or doing anything. Their business is going to grow purely on the cash flow alone. I'm not saying that can't be done, but that's going to take you a long time, right? And then the next one is the stock market entrepreneur. So it's a little bit riskier, but overall it's, it's, it's a whole lot safer than the third one, which is the casino. And so when you're in the stock market, as a stock market entrepreneur, the example I use is that you're more open to borrowing money, you're more open to trying different things, to thinking bigger, to making bolder moves, and to growing at a more aggressive rate. It, does it always work out? No, it doesn't. There is risk involved. But if you play a bigger game and you play it smartly, there's going to be a larger reward. That larger reward could come in a, in a, in a bigger, more profitable business at a faster rate of time. So, and the third one is, of course, like the casino. And if you, you, know, you can go put some money down on a, on a craps table at a, at a casino, and if you hit, you're going to win huge, but there's a much greater chance that you're going to lose it as well. So there is risk involved in everything. And being an entrepreneur is no different. So that, that a little bit covers the risk part of it, Tom. The, the speed part of it comes, 
you know, people who implement quickly and get things done and keep moving forward, it, they're much more likely to generate success because you're getting the whole, that whole flywheel going. Um, you know, the, the thing where a lot of people struggle is when you do things fast, speed usually makes a mess. It's kind of like when you go into your kitchen, you whip something up really quick. There's flour and crap everywhere, right? But you might make a really good pie if you do that, if you, if you go quickly. So, you know, being fast to market, being speedy is, is more likely to lead to a, a faster growing business. And if you put yourself out there a little bit, if you risk more, that's going to work too. I heard um, Guy Kawasaki say one time, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to suck it up. He said, if you want to be, it's not easy to be rich and successful. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So, you know, not everybody's willing to risk. The people who are willing to risk, like if you think of like Fred Smith, who started Federal Express, he started in the late 70s, Tom, when the Iranian oil embargo was going on. There were gas lines, and he didn't just start with a Cessna. He bought multiple jets, flying them across the country, sometimes with six overnight envelopes, you know, like letter packages, losing millions of dollars. He lost millions and millions of dollars many, many months in a row. And he, he eventually turned the corner, got momentum. He's got one of the most successful brands today. But he, he moved quickly, and he certainly risked a lot. And I love uh, the Federal Express story. I think on their first day of business, I think they sent seven packages, and five of them were to themselves, from themselves. And I remember reading that there were at times that he ordered the planes to stay in the air or go land somewhere else because there were people on the ground wanting to repossess them. Yep, and I'll tell you something else. The pilots that he had initially so much believed in the company, there were stories that they actually charged some of the jet fuel to their own personal credit cards. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I hadn't re hadn't heard that one. Now that's... Uh, that's pretty strong. You've got to be a pretty charismatic, strong leader for your pilots to be doing that. Amazing. And so uh, let's remind people again, getjimpalmer.com, uh, P-A-L-M-E-R. And again, if you need help with the other two, hang up and uh, do something else. But getjimpalmer.com. <laughs> Uh, you have a Dream Biz Academy coming up sometime soon, don't you? Yeah, the next one is, we're doing two a year. The next one is May 7th, 8th, and 9th in San Diego. we got a beautiful little tropical resort on Shelter Island and um, just a, a wonderful, conducive place to learn. And uh, we bring together a small group of entrepreneurs, about 40 or, or so entrepreneurs, for two and a half days. And I teach a number of different strategies, and, and a lot of stuff in this book, but I also teach something called the Million Dollar Platform on a Shoestring Budget. And that is everything that I've done to build my business and everything I continue to do today to market and grow my business. And so I don't just teach the strategies. I demonstrate many of them. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big guy in video, Tom. So not only will I tell you why you want to do it, give you tips, strategies, I'll show you my equipment, but I usually I'll turn my camera on right there in front of everybody and shoot an episode. Because here's what I know about attending a lot of events, Tom. It's one thing to go and learn a strategy or to have somebody say, oh, go do this. But what I say is, okay, how many people think they should be doing videos? A lot of hands go up. How many people think they don't have time to do videos? A lot of hands go up say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I turn my camera on. 
I put it on the little boom stick, and I say, somebody throw out a topic, and somebody will throw out a topic. And I say, I turn the camera on. Hey, it's Jim Palmer, the News Editor Guru, on this episode of News Editor Guru TV, boom, boom, boom. And I start talking about it, and I shoot the video right there in front of everybody. I usually turn around, show the audience, and then I'll upload that video um, right then and there, and I can do it in about a half hour. And I said, who here can't spare a half hour a week? to grow your business wildly like I'm doing with videos. And so I, I teach, and but I also inspire by doing a lot of these things right in front of people. And then we do a lot of masterminding. I do some hot seats, which I'm really good at, and help share some ideas, you know, how people can grow their business. So uh, if people want to learn more about it, they can go to dreambizacademy, dreambizacademy.com. And if you're in Canada, it's B-I-Z. Academy.com. There you go. <laughs> hey. We're bilingual, eh? Yeah, <laughs> Z and Z. Yeah, we, we'll take both. They're both the same key on the laptop, but us Canadians understand one better than the other. Uh, so before I let you go, when is the book coming out? Of course, all your books are for sale on Amazon, but is there any benefit? Do you have anything? Like, should they buy it from your website? Do they get any treats and... They Three should. things and other yep. things, or what's the best way you ask people to buy the book? Uh, well, it's always better to buy it from my website because we always give you some more goodies. All my books are available on Amazon in uh, paperback and Kindle. Uh, this book, Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger, is coming out Monday, March the 9th. And it'll be on Amazon and Kindle and, and paper book, paperback. This is also my first book, by the way, Tom, that I have an audio version. I've recorded, I've, I've talked through the entire book, and which is kind of cool as I actually get off track a little bit and share a little bit more than just the written word on the page. So I'm going to have an audio version of Decide. Everything's available Monday, December 9th. But what I'm doing, so I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag here, if you buy it from my website, and the website, and I'll give it to you now, but it's actually not up yet. It's called um, DecideForSuccessBook.com. DecideForSuccessBook.com. Um, I'm actually going to give away a thousand books for free. The only thing I'm going to ask is you pick up the shipping and handling, but I'm going to give away 1,000 books within the two-week launch window. Um, I've done. I've just been very blessed these last few years, and I want this book to make a difference. I had no idea I was going to write another book. When I wrote Stop Waiting for It to Get Easier, that was my fifth book in five years, and I really wanted to take a break. And I know you'll know this expression, Tom. I was nudged very heavily in the fall to write this book. And um, so I'm going to, for the first couple of weeks, if you go to my website, you can get a free paperback copy of the book in the mail. Um, we'll just ask you to pick up the shipping and handling. I definitely know about the nudging. Uh, our mutual friend Brad Zalas is uh, my chief nudging officer, and often my butt hurts from his nudging. <laughs> well, the, you he know, does if, a little you... more than nudging, and he's a black belt in karate, so sometimes. Oh it yeah, hurts. yeah, he's scary. Brad's a scary dude, man. <laughs> so, uh, what was the website for that? book again. Decideforsuccessbook.com, right? Yeah, decide for, F-O-R, decideforsuccessbook.com. If you can't remember that, go to getjimpalmer.com. If you can't remember that, hang up the phone. <laughs> You're right. 
Right, right. I was just uh, going to ask if it's on getjimpalmer.com as well because we may be just confusing too many people here. With all yeah, we'll just send them to one place. And again, depending on when this goes, you know, when people hear this, Monday, March 9th is when the book will be available. So it's, uh, we're doing some pre-interviews to, uh, to build the uh, momentum. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. I've read all your other books front to back. Uh, one of them more than once, and uh, love them all. And uh, saw the caption, or saw something on Facebook or YouTube of you uh, recording the audio version uh, last week. I love audio books uh, uh, better than listening to anything that's on the radio in the car. And so I may be picking up that one as well as the actual hard copy of the book. Uh, yeah, get Jim Palmer. That was a marathon session, Tom. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that was a marathon. I was just about losing my voice by the end of it. <laughs> well, when Nathan gets older, he can do them for you. <laughs> there you go. Good old Nathan. <laughs> Got to bring Nathan into the show somehow. I appreciate it. Yeah, we mentioned Brad Zollis enough. Let's talk about my grandson. Yeah, Nathan. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad <laughs> Zollis. You're going to have to pay us for all this free publicity. <laughs> liquidleadership.com in case you want to know Brad's uh, website as well. Uh, thanks so much for being uh, on the show today, uh, Jim. I'm really looking forward to your new book. I follow you very closely on Facebook and LinkedIn, and I've loved all your other books, so I know this one's going to be ginormously successful as well. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you, Tom. Thank you very much for having me on, buddy. Have an amazing day. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.